This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Power Play, a series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Carissa Young, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Danson Chung, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. Every month, the both of us will look at various facets of the U.S.-China rivalry and its implications for Asia. In this episode, we're going to look at how the U.S. and China are responding to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which is entering its third week. So the U.S., its allies and partners have effectively kicked Russia out of the international finance system. Russia has been partially banned from SWIFT, the global payments network that lets people and businesses send and receive money across borders. And the U.S. and U.K. announced that they're banning imports of Russian oil and gas. And the EU is doing its best to reduce its reliance on Russian energy as well. So all of this is meant to impose costs on Russia to punish Putin for going ahead with the invasion. And on top of that, many global companies have been pulling out of Russia, or at least suspending their operations there for the time being. So you have American Express, MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, they all announced that they were exiting Russia. And, you know, Russian banks can't use their services. Yeah, you know, there have been really crazy reports about Russians queuing at ATMs to, to withdraw cash or, or, you know, being stuck overseas and unable to, to get money because their cards issued by Russian banks have stopped working. Yeah, then, so this really happened overnight for the Russians. And it's all just been a heavy blow to the Russian economy. You know, the Russian ruble crashed to a record low and its rating was cut by Fitch. And analysts are even warning that Russia is on the brink of defaulting on its foreign debt. And, you know, just recently, Russian lawmakers even proposed nationalizing foreign-owned factories that shut their operations. And the speed at which Russia has become an international outcast is really quite startling. So, Denson, I was wondering, how does China view the censure of Russia? And, you know, what lessons are Beijing's leaders drawing from it? And I've, I've seen commentaries describing it as a cautionary tale for presidency. I think this, the speed and alarm at which Russian's invasion has galvanized the West has caused some alarm uh, here in China. I, I mean, just look look at the, the ban of Russian banks from SWIFT. Um, you know, essentially it cuts them off from the international uh, financial uh, system. You know, and Putin, um, I think in preparation for this invasion, has amassed this kind of war chest of over uh, 600 billion uh, US dollars. But then because governments have banned transactions with the Russian central bank, you know, all of this foreign currency is just sitting in, in overseas uh, banks uh, frozen. You know, but also, you know, countries that have banned exports to, to Russia, you know, of sensitive technologies, things like semiconductors. And, and these things, you know, are critical not just for making military equipment, but virtually all kinds of advanced equipment that we use now uh, in our everyday lives. So I think the, the biggest impact on China is that it's reinforcing this um, kind of um, autarkic thinking, you know, on need for self-sufficiency, that China needs to be self-reliant so that in a crisis, you know, other countries cannot, you know, have a sort of stranglehold on its economy. Um, and we saw some signals of this over the past week, you know, the, the Lianghui or the, the legislative meetings uh, that happen every year here in Beijing uh, is on now. And, and there have been repeated signals about the importance of ensuring food security and energy security, um, ensuring that China is self-reliant. I think you can expect that China will redouble its efforts, you know, to become independent in key technologies like semiconductors. To me, it was really astounding how all of these uh, sanctions really came together. Yeah, one thing that struck me was how the mass exodus of US companies and global companies wasn't state-directed at all. You know, the White House didn't tell them to leave Russia. Instead, it was the companies, you know, of their own accord, facing pressure from investors and customers, deciding to wind down their investments or their businesses in Russia. 
And they basically calculated that, you know, even though it costs a lot to cut ties, it would have cost them a lot more if they had stayed. I mean, you had British oil giant BP getting rid of its 20% stake in Rosneft, which is a Russian state-owned oil company. And that was an up to $25 billion US dollar financial hit for them. And that's just massive. And they were okay with that. And it really was just a wide range of companies exiting Russia. You know, just to name a few, you have McDonald's, you have Starbucks, Netflix, you have the big four accounting firms, you have a whole bunch of retailers, and you even have Bumble, the dating app. And, you know, it's just really reinforces the point that there's now this sort of digital barrier between Russia and the rest of the world. You know, Russia has really been shut off from the rest of the world. Yeah, I heard this joke about how, um, you know, with McDonald's leaving Russia, uh, one good thing is that, you know, Russians will become uh, the healthiest people in the world. Um, but, but of course, you know, it's a totally different picture uh, here in China. In Beijing, I think, has been quite res- resolute, you know, in support for Russia. Um, you know, it said, you know, we're not join other countries in sanctioning uh, Russia. And, and I think the Chinese foreign minister just a few days ago said ties with Russia were rock solid. So, um, in actual fact, that there's a lot of popular support uh, for Russia within China. You know, Putin is this sort of kind of admired as this alpha male leader and this master tactician. He has this nickname, Putin Dadi, which which literally means uh, Emperor Putin. I mean, just to give you a sense, um, Chinese consumers have bought out, you know, Russian-owned e-commerce stores. You know, buying stuff like candies and chocolates. You know, to show their support. And then in the rest of the world, you have things like people renting out Airbnbs in, in Ukraine as a way of uh, you know, sending uh, financial aid directly to the country. So I think what we're seeing in China is really the total opposite of, of the stuff that's happening in the rest of the world. Yeah, it's definitely very different from what it's like in Washington, where you know Putin is like the supervillain of the West right now. And so it's, it's pretty clear to me that China's not on the same page as the West in this. And I guess for the most part, the US and Europe have been putting up a united front, you know, more so than they usually do on other issues. And China has to be taking note of that. But there has been a little bit of daylight between the US and Europe regarding some Russia sanctions. So, for example, when it came to the SWIFT ban, Germany was more reluctant than the other EU countries to move forward with it. And there's also reports that Germany is the main obstacle to European efforts to broaden their sanctions against Russia currently. And that makes sense, you know, since more than half of Germany's gas supplies and more than a third of its oil come from Russia. So this is something that President Biden is aware of. You know, even when he was announcing the ban on Russian oil and gas, he acknowledged that many European countries were not in a position to join the US because of how much they rely on Russian energy. But speaking of differences in positions, Danson, do you think that China will shield Russia from these sanctions? Like maybe blunt them a little, extend sort of a lifeline to the Kremlin? And, you know, can China actually do much? I think Beijing is trying to walk a very fine uh, tightrope here. Uh, it wants to support Russia, but only to the extent that you know it doesn't risk secondary sanctions or trade restrictions from the U.S. and the EU and you know the rest of the world that that China still depends on for for things like you know market access, technologies, uh, foreign investments, and you know there have been some signs of this. You look at the the AIIB, uh, which is the the development bank that's backed by China. They said recently, you know, they were suspending activities in Russia. And Chinese banks have also, you know, restricted financing of purchases of Russian commodities. So I think there's a fear of being hit by secondary sanctions. Yeah, there's a there's a lot that China has to keep in mind, and it does seem that it's trying really hard to strike a balance. Yeah, and, and you know, there's there's been some attention uh, recently to this Chinese alternative to SWIFT called SIPS, C I P S. 
Um, but you know, it has a fraction of the number of users that Swift has, and it's not you know mature enough or well connected enough to the rest of the world to to be a replacement. Also, you know, even if Russia were to let's say source all of its you know uh, global imports from China, the, the Chinese can't produce all of the goods that Russia needs. China can you know increase its its imports of Russian energy, but for things like natural gas, you know you know you require uh, pipelines to be built, um, and this you know is a massive infrastructural undertaking, and it can take years. So you can see that you know what China can do at this point of time is really quite limited. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Like us and rate us. And now back to our podcast episode. So the U.S. being the U.S. wants China to do more to pressure Russia, but we can see that there's a distrust there too between the two sides. There was this New York Times report that I found really interesting. This reporter from the New York Times, Edward Wong, he said that U.S. officials had repeatedly urged China to step in and to tell Russia not to invade Ukraine. But China rebuffed these efforts. And the U.S. officials were showing China intelligence of Russia's troop buildup around Ukraine. And according to the NYT, eventually the Americans found out that Beijing had shared this information with Moscow and had told the Russians that the U.S. was trying to sow discord. And when Secretary of State Anthony Blinken spoke to Foreign Minister Wang Yi, the readout said that Blinken said, and I quote, the world is watching to see which nations stand up for the basic principles of freedom, self-determination, and sovereignty. So Washington very clearly wants Beijing to do more, but it's also quite obviously pretty unlikely to happen. Yeah, you're right. You know, I think it's, it's very unlikely the, 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 that China will join the West in, in pressuring Russia. I mean, just, just think about it. At this point... Economically speaking, China needs the West uh, more than it needs Russia. You know, it needs Western technology. It needs access to Western markets. You know, these things are essential for China's development at, at this current point of time. Then you could argue that you know Beijing could make use of this opportunity to you know improve its relations with the U.S. and with uh, other countries who have an interest right now in you know kind of preventing uh, you know this so-called arc of autocracy uh, from forming, you know, this basically this, this China-Russia uh, block. And yet, you know, China has refused to call uh, Russia's engagement in Ukraine an invasion. You know, it's continued to hold fast to its strategic partnership with Russia. So what do you think this steadfastness on China's part tells us? I, I think it kind of reflects this perception in China of a kind of East-West rivalry. You, you see this in, in some of the stuff that Chinese leaders says, uh, you know, that it's because of the West and NATO that this war has happened, that because of NATO's expansion, uh, you know, they have incited this war and, and Russia is just defending its legitimate interests. And, you know, it's repeated often enough um, that I think this really is the dominant thinking amongst the Chinese leadership and also in policy circles. I think Chinese policy makers firmly believe that there is a, a sort of constant ideological and, and political threat coming from the West. And ultimately, this, this is the long game that, that China is playing. And China will need political and diplomatic allies. And Russia is that major political and ideological and diplomatic ally uh, for China. That's interesting. So do you think that China will play a bigger role as a mediator to facilitate more meaningful negotiations with Russia and Ukraine? At this point, I, I, it's hard to say, I think, but, but things are, you know, really changing very quickly. You know, Chinese uh, academics and, and scholars are, are, are quite cynical about the influence that Beijing has on, on Putin. My view at this point of time is that the signals we've seen so far about China coming in to um, play some sort of, of uh, 
mediator role a kind of calculated gesture to to sort of re- relieve some of the western pressure uh, building on china to do something uh, and to intervene so I, i i wouldn't say at this point that the chances of this happening are, are very significant well thank you danson that nicely wraps up our chat you've been listening to powerfully i'm carissa yong and i'm danson chong do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.